Hello my friends, and welcome to another episode of Scary Stories from a Graveyard, and our next episode of the 13 Tales of October. Tonight, I ask you to journey with me to Lorenz Schlitter Memorial Cemetery near Burlington, Kansas, in Coffee County, Kansas. In this cemetery, legend has it that if you drive a clean car to the cemetery and sit for about five minutes, during which you may hear a loud thud on the vehicle, and then you drive away, you will find a large handprint on your back window and several child-size handprints all over your car. Perhaps that is why it's also known as the Child's Play Cemetery. I will share some of the tales that have been shared by others through hauntedplaces.org. The link for this page will be in the notes. Went here last night, and it was very creepy. We first waited, then got out and started looking at the headstones. We heard what sounded like a swing blowing in the wind, even though there was very little wind. We heard things starting to move in the woods next to the fence that borders the cemetery. We jumped back in the car, and on the way out heard a large thump on the door. When we got back to town, there were small handprints on the doors, but no evidence of where the large bang was. It was actually a very good night and a fun night. <laughs> Indeed. Here's another story. My friends and I have been making frequent trips here for quite some time. We kept everything quiet until now because we felt, as I felt, like everyone should know exactly what we had encountered there. We have audio and many pictures from the location and experience things out of this world. And we basically do it for fun. May have also shared a picture on there that you may find intriguing. Let's share one more story before getting into what will be the conclusion of the Willows tonight. My friends and I are wanting to go there and take the camera, but not sure what setting to put it on 
Oh, sorry. <laughs> I thought I was reading a story, but this is just a question. My apologies for that. Uh, let's see if there's any other stories. Ah, here we go. One last story. So we did venture down there last night and found this handprint on my car. Ooh, yes, you'll want to see this picture. Anyone else's handprint would have been clearing away dust. This looks as though it was made with dust. No one had touched my trunk beforehand. <laughs> beforehand, I like that. Alright, I think that'll be enough of the stories from the cemetery. We'll now get into the final chapter of The Willows by Algernon Blackwood from the famous modern ghost stories compilation. And this is chapter 5. It was my firm intention to lie awake all night and watch, but the exhaustion of nerves and body decreed otherwise, and sleep, after a while, came over me with a welcome blanket of oblivion. The fact that my companion also slept quickened its approach. At first he fidgeted and constantly sat up, asking me if I heard this or heard that. He tossed about on his cork mattress, and said the tent was moving, and the river had risen over the point of the island, but each time I went out to look, I returned with the report that all was well, and finally he grew calmer and lay still. Then at length his breathing became regular, and I heard unmistakable sounds of snoring, the first and only, only time in my life when snoring had been a welcome and calming influence. This, I remember, was the last thought in my mind before dozing off. A difficulty in breathing woke me, and I found the blanket over my face. But something else besides the blanket was pressing upon me, and my first thought was that my companion had rolled off his mattress onto my own in his sleep. I called to him and sat up, and at the same moment it came to me that the tent was surrounded. The sound of multitudinous soft pattering was again audible outside, filling the night with horror. I called again to him, louder than before. He did not answer, but I missed the sound of his snoring, and also noticed that the flap of the tent door was down. This was the unpardonable sin. I crawled out in the darkness to hook it back securely, and it was then for the first time I realized positively that the Swede was not there. He had gone. I dashed out in a mad run, seized by a dreadful agitation, and the moment I was out I plunged into a sort of torrent of humming, 
that surrounded me completely and came out of every quarter of the heavens at once. It was that same familiar humming, gone mad. A swarm of great invisible bees might have been about me in the air. The sound seemed to thicken in a very atmosphere, and I felt that my lungs worked in with difficulty. But my friend was in danger, and I could not hesitate. The dawn was just about to break, and a faint whitish light spread upward over the clouds from a thin strip of clear horizon. No wind stirred. I could just make out the bushes in the river beyond, and the pale sandy patches. In my excitement I ran frantically to and fro about the island, calling him by name, shouting at the top of my voice the first words that came into my head. But the willows smothered my voice, and the humming muffled it, so that the only so the sound only traveled a few feet round me. I plunged among the bushes, tripping headlong, tumbling over roots and scraping my face as I tore this way and that among the preventing branches. Then, quite unexpectedly, I came out upon the island's point and saw a dark figure outlined between the water and the sky. It was the Swede, and already he had one foot in the river. A moment more, and he would have taken the plunge. I threw myself upon him, flinging my arms about his waist and dragging him shorewards with all my strength. Of course, he struggled furiously, making a noise all the time just like that cursed humming and using the most outlandish phrases in his anger about going inside to them and taking the way of the water and the wind and God only knows what more besides that I tried in vain to recall afterwards but which turned me sick with horror and amazement as I listened. But in the end I managed to get him into the comparative safety of the tent and flung him breathless and cursing upon the mattress, where I held him until the fit had passed. I think the suddenness with which it all went, and he grew calm, coinciding as it did with the equally abrupt cessation of the humming and pattering outside, I think this was almost the strangest part of the whole business, perhaps. For he just opened his eyes and turned his tired face up to me, so that the dawn threw a pale light upon it through the doorway and said, for all the world, just like a frightened child, my life, old man, it's my life I owe you. But it's all over now anyhow. They've found a victim in our place. Then he dropped back upon his blankets and went to sleep literally under my eyes. He simply collapsed and began to snore again as healthily as though nothing had happened, and he had never tried to offer his own life as a sacrifice by drowning. And when the sunlight woke him three hours later, hours of ceaseless vigil for me, it became so clear to me that he remembered absolutely nothing of what he had attempted to do, that I deemed it wise to hold my peace and ask no dangerous questions. He woke naturally and easily, as I have said, when the sun was already high in the windless, hot sky. And he at once got up and set about the preparation of the fire for breakfast. 
I followed him anxiously at bathing, but he did not attempt to plunge in, merely dipping his head and making some remark about the extra coldness of the water. River's falling at last, he said, and I'm glad of it. The humming has stopped too, I said. He looked at me, up at me quietly with his normal expression. Evidently he remembered everything except his own attempt at suicide. Everything has stopped, he said, because... He hesitated, but I knew some reference to that remark he had made just before he fainted was in his mind, and I was determined to know it. Because they've found another victim, I said, forcing a little laugh. Exactly, he answered. Exactly! I feel as positive of it as though... as though... I feel quite safe again, I mean, he finished. He began to look curiously about him. The sunlight lay in hot patches on the sand. There was no wind. The willows were motionless. He slowly rose to his feet, arose to feet. Come, he said. I think if we look, we shall find it. He started off on a run, and I followed him. He kept to the banks, poking with a stick among the sandy bays and caves and little backwaters, myself always close on his heels. Ah! he exclaimed presently. Ah! The tone of his voice somehow brought back to me a vivid sense of the horror of the last twenty-four hours, and I hurried up to join him. He was pointing with his stick at a large black object that lay half in the water and half on the sand. It appeared to be caught by some twisted willow roots so that the river could not sweep it away. A few hours before, the spot must have been underwater. See, he said quietly, the victim that made our escape possible. And when I peered across his shoulder, I saw that his stick rested on the body of a man. He turned it over. It was the corpse of a peasant, and the face was hidden in the sand. Clearly the man had been drowned but a few hours before, and his body must have been swept down upon our island somewhere about the hour of dawn. At the very time the fit had passed. We must give it a decent burial, you know. I suppose so, I replied. I shuddered a little, in spite of myself, for there was something about the appearance of that poor drowned man that turned me cold. The Swede glanced up sharply at me and began clambering down the bank. I followed him more leisurely. The current, I noticed, had torn away much of the clothing from the body so that the neck and part of the chest lay bare. Halfway down the bank, my companion suddenly stopped and held his hand up in warning. But either my foot slipped or I had gained too much momentum to bring myself quickly to a halt for I bumped into him and sent him forward with a sort of leap to save himself. We tumbled together on the hard sand so that our feet splashed into the water, and before anything could be done, we had collided a little heavily against the corpse. The Swede uttered a sharp cry, and I sprang back as if I had been shot. At the moment we touched the body, there arose from its surface the loud sound of humming, the sound of several hummings, which passed with a vast commotion as if as of winged things in the air about us, 
and disappeared upwards into the sky, growing fainter and fainter till they finally ceased in the distance. It was exactly as though we had disturbed some living yet invisible creatures at work. My companion clutched me, and I think I clutched him, but before either of us had time properly to recover from the unexpected shock, we saw that a movement of the current was turning the corpse round so that it became released from the grip of the willow roots. A moment later it had turned completely over, the dead face uppermost, staring at the sky. It lay on the edge of the main stream, and another moment it would be swept away. The Swede started to save it, shouting again something I did not couch about, catch about a proper burial, and then abruptly dropped upon his knees on the sand and covered his eyes with his hands. I was beside him in an instant. I saw what he had seen. For just as the body swung round to the current, the face and the exposed chest turned full up towards us and showed plainly how the skin and flesh were indented with small hollows beautifully formed and exactly similar in shape and kind to the sand funnels that we had found all over the island. "'They're mark!' I heard my companion utter under his, under his breath. "'They're awful mark!' And when I turned my eyes again from his ghastly face to the river, the current had done its work, and the body had been swept away into midstream, and was already beyond our reach and almost out of sight, turning over and over on the waves like an otter. So there it is, my friends. The conclusion of our first tale of the month, The Willows. Not much to be said. It does leave a bit to the imagination as to what was going on. Whether there was nothing supernatural at all and they saw in their head, or something indeed strange was occurring, something beyond the veil. Well, I do hope you have enjoyed our time together tonight, my friends. And I look forward to our next visit in two days' time, on Friday. But until then, I hope that you have a pleasant evening and a good tomorrow. And I hope to see you again so, so very soon.